Three key takeaways here. One is finding employees through people's friends who are talented is a yes. huge one. Yes. You know, if I even just think about our New York office for Sharma Brands, most of the office came from people's friends and then their friends and expanding through that. Second one is developers and customer service are probably two great places to start with international talent. And then the third one is don't give up on the first five bad hires that you make, but try to build a proper qualifying process or test when you hire them. Don't try and get away with paying these people $4 an hour. You'll get shitty talent if you're like, I'm going to be so cheap that I'll only pay $4 an hour. Pay seven, pay eight, pay 12 and get good talent. Don't be a bottom of the barrel fisher. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. All right, Moyes, you know, every time we work out together, I take some pre-workout before sometimes, and I always get it from this brand, Caged. Now, why do I use Caged? Because they are on Tapcart. So I have their app on my phone. Every time it runs out, I just go to the app and reorder it. They do over 21% of their revenue just through their Tapcart app. Their AOV is 19.5% higher than the .com. And their conversion rates for mobile web, like just going on Safari, is four and a half times higher than the mobile web. And then compared to desktop, it's almost two and a half times higher. It's 2.4x. That is absolutely insane. More than a fifth of their revenue is coming from the Tapcart app that they have. And the craziest is the difference of the conversion rate within the app and mobile web. Who would have thought? Now I understand why uh, you have such good workouts. <laughs> You're on all this pre. <laughs> if you want to have a success like Cage with Tapcart, go to tapcart.com slash limited. All right, this is episode three of season four. We are on a roll this season, huh? We're on a roll. So people don't realize this because it comes out once a week, but we are we recorded Saturday, episode one. We recorded Sunday, episode two. Today's Tuesday, we're recording episode three. And I don't know, we might get two more episodes in this week. I think we took like a week off or something or 10 days off. And I feel so much either more energized as a result of those 10 days off, or I feel like the entire world has changed. And so I'm like, there's so much to talk about. So much. But okay, I want, there's a bunch of stuff that we want to chat about today. A couple things that I just added to the agenda that I'm not sure we had mentioned before. One was this company called Sunday Naturals, just because I saw a news article about it. I know we want to talk about some attentive stuff, offshoring employees, possibly ways your 3PL is fucking you. Clavio stuff, and we've got a lightning round. I, I think maybe we should start with offshoring employees. Like every e commerce business, or a lot of e commerce businesses have done that in the past. I think the questions are you know, what roles can you offshore? Who should you offshore to? When should you offshore? How much should you pay? What country should you use? And so there's a bunch of questions around this. Maybe we can start with you. Have you what's your experience doing this? You do it for Sharma Brands, you did it at Hint. Tell me a little bit about this. So I've, I've always, like, especially in the last probably year, I've been really focused on trying to figure out ways to get, you know, basically streamline our cash flow, which, you know, I should have started doing this a longer time ago. But I think being on with you so much, you know, everything <laughs> I look at now, I'm like, okay, do we need this? Can this be cheaper? <laughs> and so, so I started thinking, right? Like we have so many things that we do routinely and we started building out these SOPs or basically documenting the process of how we do things. And a lot of the things, that are, not all of them require somebody with like a high brain power to execute. For example, today we had a client 
who needed to swap out the image that shows up when you share a link in iMessage or on social, or you know, taking all of the performance over the last week and turning it into a deck that's presentable internally about what's going on, what's working, what's not working. And it's nothing crazy. It's like grabbing numbers. It's taking screenshots, screen recordings, putting it in an iPhone thing. So immediately I start thinking, okay, well, what, you know, that's one, that's part one. That's me thinking, why are we paying employees high salaries and they're spending their time on this instead of focusing on solving other problems? Part two to this is I had breakfast with uh, Alejandro who started Mott and Bo, which is like a, a denim brand. Yeah. Like I, I said, Alejandro. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we're getting breakfast and he's like, He's telling me he's the only employee in the U.S. I'm like, so are, are you running this whole thing yourself? He's like, no, we've got everybody outside of the U.S., Brazil, South America, Argentina, Philippines. He's the only employee here, and he pays a fraction of what everybody else is paying here for the same roles, head of media buying, head of growth, CFO, you know, head of supply chain, VP of marketing, all these roles that we normally hire for here mainly in like New York and California, he has all these roles in Argentina and Brazil and all these other places. So I started thinking, okay, I've tried to do the offshore employee thing before. And I generally run into a couple issues. The first issue is I hire somebody. And in my head, the task is so simple. Two people I hired, they were both developers. Now I'm not a developer. You know, I'm like maybe outside of the two of us, we're like the two Indians who probably don't know how to code. And I don't know how to judge a good developer other than taking somebody else's word for the fact that she's a good developer. So I used one of these offshoring recruiting agencies and I said, I need a Shopify developer. Nothing like building crazy sites, but you know, hey, editing some fonts or editing this, adding this module, taking this pixel perfect Figma design, implementing it in Shopify responsively. And it turns out they were so good at everything except Shopify so we worked with them to build like probably one or two things, but you know, it was a thousand dollars a month, which is like nothing for a, a really good developer. And I think we got probably around a thousand dollars worth of value out of it. You know, I wish we had gotten $10,000 worth of value because that was the promise I was sold. So that was my experience firsthand was like hiring two developers and then feeling like, damn, I think I just got ripped off. The second one was hiring a VA whose main job was actually to like basically join some calls and like take notes. I was just like, I am not really good at taking notes when I'm on the phone because I try to be super engaged in the conversation. Your job is to basically take notes, transcribe them into, you know, some sort of a doc. Every meeting should have a document and it should have what was discussed, who was on the call, what are the outcomes. That was also impossible. So then I'm like, okay, offshoring is a scam. Basically, like somebody's making money in the short run when I, you know, I'm paying 30% recruiting fee. So this thousand dollar developer, I paid three thousand dollars to the recruiting agency. You know, I used this person for six months and then I was done. So I was like, okay, I got scammed here. Then I tried this other service and it wasn't really what I was promised when, you know, when this happened. Like I was promised, oh, this person's gonna do graphic design or video editing. Dude, the graphic design looks like dog shit. And so I was just like, this, I'm not doing this. Then I start talking to a couple more people. And first of all, this the the rise of offshoring talent has been astronomical. And what has happened as a result is, you know, when more people come into a space, the people who win provide a better service. And so what do these people do? 
I mean, you know, the growth assistant, uh, Jesse's company, he will basically train these people to understand Facebook ads manager, Google analytics, how to go through ads manager and pull numbers or pull reports, how to add UTMs to campaigns, how to set up, you know, a bulk sheet of a, an Excel file or a CSV to upload into ads manager, anything from like SEO metadata, figuring out titles and H1, H2, all this shit that like, it's just like things you know that need to get done and they're kind of boring and routine, but it's nearly, you know, you, you'll never find time on your calendar to do. It's like a firm like this, you, you're definitely paying a premium. You know, you're paying three grand instead of one grand, but you're getting somebody who has these learnings basically built in. It's like they have this farm of Filipinos. They water the plants, they grow them, they educate them, and then they come to you. Do you have any VAs uh, at Sharma Brands? And if so, what are they doing? Right now, we have one VA, and she does three main things. One is managing my calendar. One is basically anytime in Slack, we need to schedule something across clients or internal. We ping her, and she figures out all the calendars. The third one is customer service management and basically overseeing tickets. Most of the tickets are routine. She responds to them, and anything that's higher than that, she just drops it in Slack, and somebody figures it out. How many hours a week does she work and what do you pay her? She is eight to six every day, my hours, US EST, and I pay approximately $1,600 a month. Okay. So uh, eight to six is uh, 10 hours a day, five days a week. So 50 hours, let's say that's 200 hours a month. So you're paying eight bucks an hour. Is that right? Uh, that is right. And okay. let me tell you the fucked up part. I'm paying 1600 and I know for a fact she's making 500 Oh, because you went through an agency to get I went her. through an agency, yeah. Got it. Now, I've tried to get this agency to let me buy my contract out or just be like, yo, I've been here for like three years. Just like, let me take her away. And they're like, no, we're going to keep arbitraging her and <laughs> you're stuck here. Well, that's going to be a great segue to attentive when we get to it. <laughs> okay, so there's one other thing I want to mention because this I think is actually really interesting. There's this company I found yesterday called Activate Talent, which is basically a international recruiting firm. So they're not like this virtual assistant farm. You know, they don't do what a lot of these other companies do. What they do is they say, okay, give us a job description. We're going to go find you the best candidates outside of the US. It might be in India, it might be Japan, it might be the Philippines, it might be Brazil, you know, Argentina. They use some sort of AI to like find and 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 <laughs> and like find the talent. Like I'm pretty sure that AI talent. is other offshore it's another people. Indian. Yeah, like it's another Indian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what is cool is like they also do the PEO side, which means like you don't have to deal with the labor law issues or potential issues. And so I asked him. You know, yesterday I was thinking. Uh, I don't know if you've met Scott, my business partner in 1180, but I was talking to Scott. And I was like, you know, what would it cost here if we were in the office to just build out a high caliber dev shop, like just to just build random ideas that we have that we think would make, you know, our jobs more efficient within what we're doing at 1180 or Sharma Brands or whatever. Or if we decided we just want to like have a, a team that we can go to and say, here's an app I want to build. Give me the app in a month. You know, basically it costs like, call it two to two fifty in salaries per engineer, that same engineer externally would cost us about 50. 
And then a CTO would normally cost us probably, let's say, 300, like a really good CTO. And you're saying 300,000 US dollars if they were based in the United States. If they were based abroad, they would cost 80,000. Exactly. Okay. I found this thing fascinating because I'm currently in this spot where I actually want to go find support for some of our team members at Sharma Brands or even hooks to to like help with, you know, it, it could be something as simple as wireframing a page and as complex as like build me a financial model where I don't want to pay the US rates for these people, which yeah. probably sounds fucked up, but I don't. And then you have, you know, all the taxes and whatnot on top. I would rather pay somebody in an international country who can do the same caliber of work, probably will work harder and will deliver just as good of a result. Okay, so Nick, yeah, a lot of thoughts about this. Uh, one is you said that, you know, based on our conversations, you're constantly looking at costs, and that makes me so happy that we're doing this. I could this. see that big smile. Yeah, that, like, you know, <laughs> that is the most amazing thing uh, anyone's ever told me. Uh, like, the Costco so hot dog is now three times a day, breakfast, <laughs> lunch, and dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you know, uh, ironically enough, uh, Ezra Firestone, who I'm not sure if you've ever met him, he is, uh, he lives in New York, but like upstate New York. He posted a tweet uh, yesterday and he's like, uh, one year, he and I chatted a bunch. We used to chat a lot more and now we chat, uh, you know, maybe once a quarter or once every six months. And he's like, I started looking at all my costs because Moise was telling me the same thing. And he's like, I dropped my expenses by $500,000 a year without switching any service providers. Like I called up Stripe, I called up Shopify, I called up Clay, I called up everybody I could. And I was like, hey, I need a service. I need a discount to these for the SaaS software. And he's like, that saved me $500,000 a year. I genuinely think there are meaningful uh, savings to be had just by trying to knock down costs. Specifically with offshore employees, I think generally they fall into two buckets. I think it's really hard to do uh, what you're talking about, which is you want someone to come. uh, uh, And I I say... uh, when I say hard, I mean that's may- may- maybe not the right word to use. Yeah, you want someone to update the image when you share a website on social media. You want that. It's like the Facebook OG underscore I- uh, IMG or whatever it is. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's almost hard to teach. Uh, it's not worth my time to go teach somebody offshore how to do this. Like It doesn't happen frequently enough where I can be like, hey, Filipino uh, person, let me teach you how to do this because you're going to have to do this even 10 times a week, I'd say this is enough. You're going to have to do this once every quarter. And by the time I teach you to do it, you do it this quarter. And next quarter, you have to do it again. You're going to have forgotten. And I'm going to have to show you again. You ever use like looms to record your processes? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do use looms. I generally think that they fall into two buckets. One is like customer service and two is developer work. I think there is another bucket of like virtual assistant or assistant, which I really haven't gotten into. But I think you, you it sounds like you've gotten into and had a Yeah, I've been using it for with. like four or five years. The harder thing is like, oh, I need operational stuff done. I, how, when should I order more inventory? Oh, there's a problem with this container. You need to call a bunch of people to figure that stuff out. Then I'm like, I need somebody that's on my timetable, that's in my uh, time zone, that speaks English fluently, that like understands my uh, dilemmas. So I'll tell you, at Native, what happened is we hired... Let me talk about customer service first. First four or five customer service people we hired were in-house for a few reasons. One is we didn't have any statements of procedure and any SOPs. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing and we needed the people right away. And I need I didn't know that offshore people like, you know, you could get away with it or you, they would speak English well enough that like it was sure. a good outcome. So uh, we hired four or five people here. Then we started working with another company that helped us, just like you're talking about, an agency that helps you find people abroad. We did what you are trying to do, which is we got those people. <laughs> we went around the agency. 
we're like, okay, this agency sucks. First, the agency would give us like two good employees and like four bad employees. And so we're like, okay, the two good employees, we want to hire them. The four bad employees, we don't want. And so like ultimately they quit the agency and then we reached out to them and just hired them directly. And so that happened. And uh, like, you know, what happened is we ended up having a team of like 10 or 12 people that all worked from home rather than come into an office. Like before, when we had this agency do it, all of them would come into an office, work from there. Two or three of them would be good. Five or six of them would be bad. We got the two or three of them and then we had them work from home. And then the way if we wanted more people, we would ask them, we're like, hey, who are your friends that can do customer service as well. Like, you know, good customer service people, you speak English really well. You're just more talented than other people and more talented people are going to hang out with more talented people. So who else is going to be really good that we can add to our team in order to grow our staff of customer service employees? And that's really how we started growing after we got two or three good people. We would just ask them, hey, who else is good? Once in a while, they'd refer, like, they'd be like, here's this bumpkin. And you're like, this person's a bumpkin. I don't want to hire this person. And it turns out that it's your sister or your your grandmother or like, you know, you know, like that's not a good person to hire. But usually when they referred their friends, it worked out really well. We paid really well. And um, in, in even the e-commerce businesses I have today, we pay our customer service team really well. We will never pay $8 an hour. We'll always start, we'll be way more than $10 an hour. And if they're fantastic, I would pay $25 an hour, which is, you know, US rates. But these people show up on time, you know, speak English as well as you and I do. July 4th, they don't celebrate July 4th. Thanksgiving, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. That's an American holiday. They're in the Philippines. They're like, no problem. We're not going to work this day. Or we're going to work that day even if you guys have off. And so we pay really well and like, you know, retain them for years. In fact, there are uh, two women that I still remember at Native that still work there. They've been working there for longer than I was at Native. Like they've probably <laughs> been there for six or seven years at this point. Yeah. And so I think that uh, from a customer service perspective, they're fantastic. And I would encourage people to definitely hire customer service people in the Philippines. It, it's weird. I feel like different, like, you know, Indian people tend to be doctors or taxi cab drivers or own convenience stores. Customer service people tend to be in the Philippines. Developers yeah. tend to be in Eastern Europe, yeah. Romania, Poland, Ukraine, all Serbia. like that area. Yeah, yeah. Serbia. And so uh, I also have a developer uh, that's been working with me for a decade. More than a decade, actually. He started with me at Caskers and is still working with me 11 years later. I talked to him on a daily basis. We have never met face to face. We've never even had a phone call, actually. And, like, you know, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I, I think we pay him. We, he doesn't work only for us. He, he works for several brands that I work for, and together he makes, I don't know, four or five grand a month or something to that across all the brands that he works with uh, me for. And he's great, has, has been working with me for a decade. And the first time I did a loom with him, uh, or the first time I sent him a loom, he's like, oh my God, I've never seen what you look like. You know, he's never Googled <laughs> me. And so I thought that was really funny. Um, I find that there, there are those two groups that I've engaged with. You know, customer service people, I pay 10 to $20. I, look, I don't mind paying an extra $2 an hour, $80 a week, which is literally nothing, to get somebody who speaks English well, is always on top of it, crushes tickets, and like doesn't escalate issues to me. Um, right. And for uh, developers, yeah, same thing. I'm ready to pay a little bit more to get really good talent. You know what you pay for developer? I think this guy's like across all of the brands that I work with him on, it's probably around 5,000 bucks, give or take a little bit per month. Maybe yeah. uh, like somewhere around that area. I'm not exactly sure. So we work with a pretty decent sized team in Ukraine uh, called and I think they charge just over $100 an hour, but their their quality of work is what you would find here for 
$250 to $300 an hour. Yeah. And then there's a developer that I work with in India who is just like this one sole guy and he's built his own army of people and that costs about probably around $65 an hour. Okay, wow, yeah, that's that's uh yeah, healthy rates. Yeah, his development quality too is like $300 an hour in the US. That's amazing. The hard part about offshore talent, and I'm really like, I'm glad you gave that story about how you hired developers, the two developers that didn't work out, you hired a VA and maybe it didn't work out, is it is a process of trial and error and you will yeah. always err the first few times because you will get fucked. And then once you find people that you like working with, they will stick with you because you know you don't really mind the excess pay that you have to give them because it's not that much when your business is working. Uh, so you will like you know the developer I've been working with a decade. I there have been customer service people that I work with that I've been working with for probably close to ten years as well. Once you find people that you like, they will follow you to different brands, to different companies. They'll do what you want. They understand what you want. You don't have to train them over and over again. When you want to grow your team, you just ask them, who else should I get? And they'll help you grow your team. And so I, I think it is a process of trial and error. I'm glad you talked about the error that you had. I had plenty of error on my end as well. Uh, we, had ter- we had a bunch of people that were crazy. But ultimately, I think it's a fantastic thing to outsource or like to work with people over a long period of time, you can outsource it, you can get cheaper rates, and they understand what you want. You don't have to train them. Yeah, and they know when to escalate to you. Yeah, it's relationships. Yeah, exactly. I think the the three key takeaways here. One is finding employees through people's friends who are talented is a yes. huge one. Yes. You know, if I just even just think about our New York office for Sharma Brands, most of the office came from people's friends and then their friends and expanding through that. Second one is developers and customer service are probably two great places to start with international talent. And then the third one is don't give up on the first five bad hires that you make, but try to build a proper qualifying process or test when you hire them. Don't try and get away with paying these people $4 an hour. You'll get shitty talent if you're like, I'm going to be so cheap that I'll only pay $4 an hour. Pay seven, pay eight, pay 12 and get good talent. Don't be a bottom of the barrel fisher. Yeah, that's all you're going to get then. Yeah. I've got two side stories. Uh, I think those takeaways were great. One of them is this guy who started a business. He basically has a business where like uh, fast food restaurants has hired him. And he he has a camera outside restaurants. They've hired him to figure out how many cars are in line at lunchtime and at dinner time at because there's a traffic issue and all these states are yelling at them being like, or these cities are like, we're going to shut down this because there's too many cars on the road. And so this guy has cameras outside. And then he was like, I use automation to figure out how many cars there are. I think he sold that idea. And in Does reality, the automation much- sound like this? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the automation is based in Bombay. It's AI. <laughs> Their AI is a bunch of Indian guys with two eyeglasses, with you know, two <laughs> eyes and uh, a pair of eyeglasses looking at a computer screen <laughs> counting cars at any given time. Dude, uh, which I think is hilarious. Um, one of my other friends has outsourced um, trying to do, like verify medical insurance. She's outsourced it to Pakistan. And she's like, uh, I love this Pakistani guy that I work with. Uh, you know, she's like, I tried to bond with him. I tried to create like this office environment where I'm like, oh, what do you like to do for fun? And he's like, I like to work. That's what's my fun. He's like, like don't talk to me about anything other than work. Give me more work. Don't talk to me about no, no collegiality. You know, like this is a work environment. Yeah. We're only business here. That is so funny. Yeah. There's no office cooler talk in India and Pakistan. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, okay. Anyway, great takeaways. I love that you uh, wrapped that up so well. Uh, let's move on to, let me just talk about Sunday Naturals and then we'll move on to Attentive. Perfect. Uh, I want to talk about Sunday Naturals just because I read this thing on the internet earlier this week and I thought it was helpful in case other people are in this industry. Sunday Naturals is an online retailer of vitamins and supplements. I've never heard of it until yesterday. I'm certainly not an investor. I've never bought anything from there. I have no affiliation with them. They're based in Germany and they're trying to sell the business. And this report got leaked, you know, it was publicized somewhere. They are trying to get $655 million to $900 million for the business. It was in euros, so I tell you, you know, roughly translate into dollars. Uh, it was founded in 2013. I couldn't find their revenue, but their EBITDA is $50 million this year. Last year, it was $30 million. So they're looking at a 12 to, you know, 16x EBITDA. Uh, that's what they want to trade for. It might be high, might be low. I don't know where they're sold. I know they're not on Shopify. I don't know enough about the business to be like, yeah, they're sold in brick and mortar retailers or they're only sold online. I don't know anything about it. I just like bringing up comps because a lot of people are constantly fundraising or trying to sell their businesses. And they're like, what is the valuation of this business? What would you pay for this? The 50 million in EBITDA? Like, look, it was $30 million in EBITDA last year and $50 million in EBITDA this year. First, that's a great question. I, I'm really glad you asked that question. That's a lot of EBITDA growth. That's a 20 yeah. million. If, is this all like based in, we just got into one retailer, we're in Walmart now. Yeah, or the Walmart or we equivalent. got insane amounts of costs, you know, to sell the business. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or is this like, you know, direct to consumer growth? And there's plenty more where this came from because we just unlocked a new product. Like this business, I went to their website and they've got like 40 million SKUs. I've never, they've made every vitamin ever you've ever seen and plenty that you've never heard of. I would, you know, certainly more than 10x EBITDA. It's a VMS supplement. It's been around for a decade. EBITDA is growing. Uh, you know, I would imagine they have at least 10%, uh, 20% margins. So you're looking at a you know $500 million top line business or something to that effect. So that $650 to $900 million doesn't sound unreasonable. But the market is also like, we don't love e-commerce right now. We don't love health and beauty. We don't it's love- It's also CPG. kind of a tough price. Like there's not that many people that can pay that great point. Like, I mean, Harry's is one of the, like, you know, one of the reasons we sold native the time we did was because I was like, I want anyone to be able to buy this business at a hundred million dollars. A lot of people can write that check. Right. Harry's tried to sell to Edgewell. They cannot sell to Edgewell for a bit. And then they got than nobody else. They can't sell to PNG and nobody else can afford them or like very few brands can afford them. And so their only path to exit is IPO. This business is not that size. This business is more reasonable than that, but there are, there are like, you know, a billion dollars is still a lot of money. Interesting. One other thing, actually, if I uh, can mention, uh, Casper, I'm not sure if you saw this. They sold their Canada business. Did you see this? I saw the link that you sent in our limited supply Slack group, which everybody should sign up for at limitedsupplypod.com. Yeah, I love that Slack group. I'm always on it. Anyway, uh, it was a really weird transaction. I don't know any of the numbers because Casper is now privately traded business. So I couldn't tell you any of the numbers of Casper's Canada revenue. But this is what happened. The buyer gave Casper $21 million, let's say, okay? It was 20.6, I'm gonna say 20, oh, let's say $20 million. Casper gave the buyer back $5 million in a marketing transition fee. Why that happened? I've never heard of a marketing transition fee before in my career, uh, but they gave him back $5 million. Then the buyer gave another $20 million for a 5% stake or up to 5% stake in Casper. In the whole Casper, not just Canada Casper. Correct. Yeah, they own the the buyer is a Canadian mattress company already. They now own Casper Canada. 
I mean, that means that Casper's business as of yesterday is worth $400 million. Yeah. And there's no chance that's the case. So I'm not really sure what's going on here. It could be that they were like, here's $20 million for 5% for warrants worth up at a 5% of Casper's. And this is like part of the Casper Canada price. Like, you know, it was a complicated transaction. So I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if those values can be easily interchanged like that. But ultimately, they gave them $40 million. They got back $5 million. So net, they gave them $35 million for Casper in Canada and 5% of Casper everywhere else. That is fascinating. Another one that just happened yesterday, you know, Authentic Brands Group, they own like Forever 21 and all these other companies. They bought Quicksilver or the parent company of basically Quicksilver, Billabong, Roxy, I think is in there. And it looks like they paid about $1.25 billion, which to me was interesting, not because of the transaction. I think the reason it's interesting is because kind of like how we were talking about in episode one, of these brands that will continue to be traded and traded because their brand equity is so good. Like Quicksilver is a brand I grew up on, you know, wearing their clothes. And that was like the cool brand that everybody wore when I was a kid. I think that brand like ABG is going to do something with it now. And in 10 years, eight years, they're going to flip it again for 10 times what they just bought it for. It's so fun to see those things happen. Like starter, remember starter jacket? You're too young for starter jackets, I think. Yeah. But when I was a kid, starter jackets were like a huge thing. Everyone wanted one. My parents were like, this is too expensive. We're not buying this. <laughs> then it was like, you know, champion clothing. Like champion oh, clothing course. now is like uh super hot. Now it's when I was a kid, champion was sold at Kmart for three dollars because nobody in their right mind would be caught wearing it. Yeah. It's such different dynamics. Uh, it's so funny to see. Okay, Nick, I know we know a ton of brands that have the TapCard app. You're a big fan of Cage. Do you use their pre-workout all the time? You've downloaded the Caged app and you use it. I've got the Brewmate app on my phone. The reality is these TapCard apps aren't for all of the people that are going to shop at your store. They're for the top 10%, the top 20%, the top 30% of your customers. And they're a direct line between the brand and the brain of your VIP customers. You can send push notifications for free. You can communicate with them in different ways than you can with your regular customers. And uh, you're going to find that the conversion rate is higher with your TapCart mobile app downloads. Uh, You're going to find that your AOV is higher. And you're going to find that the LTV of the top 10, the top 20, the top top 30% of your customers that use this mobile app is on average 2.4x higher than if it was just a website visitor. Two and a half times higher. That's pretty high. Gives you a lot more room to spend on marketing, gives you a lot more room to spend on headcount, on ops. It's pretty fantastic. Okay, so how do I get it? Go to tapcart.com slash limited and get a two-week free trial. All right, what are we getting into next? Let's talk about attentive. Okay. I mean, first of all, let's let's somehow say some, what's the legal statement to say to recluse ourselves from any potential lawsuit? We need to put that up front here Yeah, because they two throw things. lawsuits. Uh, two things. One is I'm an investor in PostScript and have been for a really long time. I'm not, I think you're affiliated or also an investor. Advisor. In an advisor to PostScript. Okay. Two is, hey, baby, First Amendment. We are covered by that First Amendment shield. Okay. So you There's can say also whatever you uh, want. <laughs> did you see the? Oh yeah, we went to go see the Hassan Minaj's uh, show together. And yeah. what was that? That act at the very end where it's like, "There's a law that you know because this is for the per- it's assumed this is for comedy. 
it invalidates any potential legal claim. That's right. Yeah. Actually, it was Fox News. I think someone had sued Tucker Carlson and they, Fox News had said, this isn't news. This is comedy. Yeah. Uh, so this satire. is a comedy podcast today. Uh, what I'm saying is not comedy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a word me. But uh, so, okay, we've said that we're investors in PostScript. The reason I want to bring it up is because Attentive has been holding a bunch of people's SMS lists hostage. Basically, if you're working with Attentive and uh, you want to download your SMS list, they've put up a lot of barriers for you to be able to download that list, even though it's your own data. Like if you go to Clavio today and you want to download your email list, it'll take about 10 seconds if you've got a really small business and about 10 minutes if you've got a really big business because Clavio has got to process that. Right. That's not what we're talking about here. In this instance, you know, Attentive has gotten legal teams involved to try and prevent you from downloading your list, even if you've fulfilled the terms of your contract and paid them all the money that they're owed. That's the crazy part, right? It's even if you've paid them the money for the service up until that point. Generally, like I know that there there's some companies that exist. Uh, Heap Analytics is one. They're one that'll also fuck you if you try to get out of a contract early. They will really? say, well, if you want to get out of the contract early, we're just going to go after you. The thing with Attentive that's interesting is like generally in this ecosystem, I like to think that a lot of the players are quite nice and friendly. If you're like, hey, Clavio, I signed a year contract, but you know what? I'm out. They will probably just say, oh, fuck, bummer. Okay, well, hope you come back and here's your stuff. Attentive will say, no, you're, you have to stay till the end. Also, there was a contract that I was just uh, reading recently couple weeks ago, you have a window to opt out. It's like a 30-day window to opt out of your contract renewal. Somebody missed it by one day and they they were forced to stay the, the next year. And you have to pay all the fees. Even if you paid all the fees, you don't get your list until that the day after the contract expires, which to me, this makes no sense. They're also, yesterday I saw, um, I just Googled like attentive lawsuit. They're suing PostScript. I don't even know if you know this, but they're suing PostScript for the two-tap opt-in because it's patented, which I don't know how that got patented. That's like saying Shopify cart permalink should be patented. But it's basically when you see the pop-up, you click the button, the button takes you to iMessage, which is a permalink. That is a permalink. That's the definition of it. You send a message. It sends some sort of a reference code, which tells the software this is where this came from and this is who this customer is and what they're trying to do. And then it sends you a text reply back. That apparently is patented and Attentive is currently suing PostScript, PostScript. and I believe Emotive as well for the same thing. I just thought it was it was almost like that is interesting and yeah. sort of scary to do business with somebody who will basically so hold you hostage or, or yeah, they're, they're very litigious. That's the right word. I hate doing business with people that are this litigious. I don't know enough about the patent, although like, you know, patents become really valuable when they've been held up in court because they're often they often fail when like, you know, right. someone starts examining them. I don't know anything about this patent, so I can't speak to it. It is fucked up that they will hold your list hostage. You know, the guys at sent me the emails that they had with Attentive. And, you know, the emails are really clear where they're like, look, our contract says that we can get our personal information, our customer data in accordance with our express instructions. This is our express instructions. Give me our personal data. Give me our customer data. And they refused to do it. And it took them months to get it done. When I was at Shop Talk, the Attentive booth and the Clavia booth were right next to each other. And I went up to the Attentive booth 
And I saw someone with a badge that said, you know, I forgot what their name was, and it said CEO attentive. And so I was like, hey, how come you guys are holding lists hostage? And she was like, we're not doing that. And I was like, well, I know for a fact that you are. I've literally seen the emails. Uh, I've seen the emails where people say, I've paid everything that you could get from this contract. And I want my list now. Give it to me. And uh, you've said no, and you've brought attorneys in. And so she's like, oh, well, maybe it's people who haven't uh, paid their bills. And I was like, no, that's, I was like, maybe that's happened. Maybe, uh, like, I don't know everyone who's requested their list sure. from you. Although I think that if I didn't pay my Clavio bill, I could probably still download my list. I just couldn't send an email. But okay, fine. Uh, I'm sure that's happened, but that's not the only reason. Sometimes you just hold lists hostage. And I was like, uh, you know, so she started looking around. I was like, you don't need to look around. It's a, you're this, I was like, I'm talking to you. It says CEO, CEO on your badge. And she's like, I'm not the CEO of the business. I just have a CEO badge. And I was like, okay, so the lies start with the badge. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know what her name was, but I'm positive it said, C- and you know, I'm, if she listens to this podcast, I guarantee you if the attentive asks, did anyone talk to Moyes at Shop Talk? She will not have forgotten this. Because I was like, why don't you, she's like, I'm not the CEO. I was like, why don't you go get somebody who can answer this question? And she's like, oh, that person's out at lunch. Why don't you come back? And I was like, okay, I understand where I'm getting the, you know, the boot. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I asked them. I, it was so fun. I felt like I was, I felt like I was Diane Sawyer. I was like, I caught you guys. <laughs> Bring but I had no idea I was going to do it. I was just, yeah, I was just like, okay, you're, your badge says CEO. I know you're a bad actor in this space. You seem to be getting away with it and have been for some time. Uh, multiple people have told me about this. And, uh, you know, there's no good answer to this. It's just, an actor that you don't want to deal with. Don't use PostScript. I don't care. I'm an investor, but it doesn't matter to me. But like attentive is somebody that I would not do business with. The biggest takeaway that I've learned from situations like this, just watching other people go through this, or I remember uh, working at a company and there was somebody who basically worked there for three months and then tried to sue the company for like discrimination. And it turns out she was just a career like sewer. sewer a lot of these documents are actually public and it's like one piece of a, a check that a lot of people don't do, but going to Pacer or Justia and being able to look up court files and just read, like I think it costs 10 cents a page on Pacer and it maxes out at $3. So like yesterday I downloaded the attentive and postscript suit. It cost me $3 and it was 100, 200 something pages. But just being able to go and see what you're getting into bed with is such a good idea before you sign any contract, let alone a contract which has no out clause and you've you're it's something that's like a multi-term or multi-month contract. That is so true. Like just look for litigation. All right. Segue from attentive. Should we go into Clavio, some of the IPO yeah. stuff? I think yes, this is pretty interesting. That. All right. So basically Clavio hired Goldman Sachs, your favorite financial advisor as the lead underwriter for this IPO. Now, I, I started digging into the valuation. So they're valued at $9.5 billion. They last raised $320 million just about two years ago when this podcast episode is out in May 2021. Currently, 16% of Shopify's entire value is in Clavio in terms of market cap. They did $140 million in revenue with a $9.5 billion valuation, which is about a 68x markup. Now, if we compare that to three companies that I think I would put in a similar category, Braze, which is also uh, email and you know like retention software, 
they did 100 million with a 3 billion valuation, which is a 30x. HubSpot did 1.7 billion at a 20 billion valuation, which is a 12x. And then MailChimp did a billion in revenue. I think this is back from 2021 numbers though, but MailChimp did a billion in revenue with a 12 billion valuation, which is also a 12x. Now, these last three companies I mentioned, Braze was 30x, HubSpot was 12x, and MailChimp was 12x. Clavio is currently at 68x their revenue. How do you think this plays out when they IPO? <laughs> Same way you do, which I can get from the tone of your question, which is, I mean, look, that, those the numbers that they raised at were two years ago. You said that's when they raised money at the nine and a half yeah, million dollar valuation. Exactly. Stripe raised money at like in like 2021 at a hundred billion dollar valuation at the beginning of 2021. By the end of 2021, it was trading at two hundred billion dollars. They raised money at fifty billion dollars a month ago. Their price came down by hundred fifty billion dollars, or by you know three seventy five percent. Clavio's is uh, may not come down by seventy five percent. How much revenue did you say they were doing again? I'm sorry if you don't mind. One hundred and forty million at a nine and a half billion valuation. Yeah, that is tough. I think their EBITDA break even or profitable at this point as well, or close to it. Like HubSpot, I'm almost certain is profitable. Mailchimp was profitable and bootstrapped. I think Clavio at this point is profitable. Their number one investor, or their largest investor, is a company called Summit Partners, which is. Uh, you know, large private equity fund. They're also investors in like Brooklinen, Parachute, Shipmunk, and a few other organizations. Uh, Recharge. You know, valuations have just come down so much from those highs. And the, so I guess I, I'm surprised at two things. One is that they're trying to IPO this year because the IPO market has been really quiet. Like, you know, two years ago, a lot of businesses were IPOing, right? Like, Honest IPO then, Allbirds did, all the you know, the guys that I harp on all the time. Yeah. Uh, today, no one is IPOing. Like it's very quiet because the markets have been beating up not just e-commerce businesses, but SaaS businesses as well. Like Twilio. Like look at Twilio stock. Uh, in the past, let me look at the last like year. In the past year, it is down 60%. Yikes. Uh, that is a fortune, you know, like it, uh, it is now an $11 billion market cap company, you know, it's trading $144 a share. Now it's $59 a share. Yeah. It's pretty much where it was at, at the IPO. I think that's right. Yeah. So I think where, where does Clavio trade at? Not $9 billion under any circumstance, $140 million in revenue. I can understand two, $3 billion. It is not going to trade at $10 billion, even $5 billion. I could sort of understand, but $9 billion has no no chance. So the other interesting thing was they've raised $775 million in funding so far. Yeah. Their last investment was from Shopify for $100 million, which I also thought was interesting because they tend to invest right before something goes public. It's a great insider game in the private market for them because just like when there's white claws around, there ain't no laws about insider, you know, like these sort of like pre-IPO rounds at least that it seems. So I started to look at what are some of the other investments Shopify's made. I think this might be one of the biggest investments Shopify's made. They did 100 million into Clavio. Triple Whale, it wasn't really disclosed, but it was estimated around 25. Yapo was also not disclosed, but also reported around 30. And then the others like Loop Returns, Tapcart, Disco, and Pipe were a bit earlier, I believe, than like this late stage of a company. But yeah, I mean, these guys are probably going to turn 100 into like 300. 
Usually, uh, I found that Shopify tries to invest at a discount. Not always, but I've heard a rumor, I should say, that Shopify tries to invest at a discount. So like, if you're trading at $10 billion, they're like, look, we'll give you $100 million, but we want it at $5 billion. Why? Because mm-hmm. we're fucking Shopify. We can do whatever. The, right. You know, your platform exists because we exist. Right. And so I think they've got a lot of like, you know, shoulder power, you know, with, <laughs> yeah. you know, push people, they elbow people. Um, and I respect that. Like, you know, it's the Canadian version of like throwing the hustle. An elbow. Yeah. So one of the things that's interesting is they've raised $700 million, but I'm not sure there's any preferred stock, which means like the people who put in money at a $9 billion valuation, if they put in $100 million, generally, if they don't get their $100 million out, they get $100 million if they don't make more than $100 million. So like, if, for instance, if the company went to 20 billion, they'd get $200 million. But if a company went to 1 billion, they would still get their 100 million first because they're like, you know, they, they put in the That's if million. there was, it was preferred, right? That's if there was Versus common stock. Yeah. But and in I'm this case, sure. you're saying it's most likely common? I've heard they only have common stock. So I think the people who put in at a $10 billion valuation, which is probably Summit, are about to lose a bunch of money. But it really depends on what the market values Clavio at. And like, you know, two years ago, the revenue was $130 million, or it sounds like. I'm not sure if that, that revenue has gone to $200 million or $300 right. million. So those numbers could be in flux here. Just to clarify, too, the 140 was actually last year. Oh, 140 was last year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then they have no chance at being worth 20% of Shopify. Absolutely no chance of being worth 20% of Shopify. Yeah, if they do like uh, that, that would be silly. But they won't IPO at ten billion dollars, or the market will change, conditions will change before they can do that. Right. One thing I'd lo- love for them to do. Uh, look, I'm a huge fan of Clavio, despite whatever Same. their valuation is. I think Clavio yeah, fucking is love Clavio. One of the best. In fact, um, in 2015, when I started Native, I met the guy who's the CEO of Clavio, and this was before they were as big as they are today. And I said. I want to take all of the money the native has made and invest in Clavio because this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And he said, well, okay, we're going to, uh, when next time we raise money, we're going to try and do it from the businesses that are on Clavio. He raised money, did not contact me, and I emailed him and I was like, hey, uh, you said you were going to let me invest. Never emailed me back after that. Uh, <laughs> oh, despite man. all of that, I love Clavio. And um, I wish one of the things that they would do is, have you played around with their signup forms a lot? Oh, yeah, I love it. I love their signup forms. You can A-B test it and it's so easy. The problem with the A-B testing is you can only see what has a higher opt-in rate. So if you're like, um, let's say long weekend, you have a pop-up that says 10% off and then you test a pop-up that says 20% off. Guess which one performs better? 20% off is going to have a higher opt-in rate. I want to see conversion rate. Is the 20% off going to get me more sales? Yep. Tell me that. And so I wish they would do an A-B testing on signup forms that let you that let you look at conversion rate and not just opt-in rate. Yeah, one level deeper to that too would be like coming up to Black Friday. Imagine if you could look at last year's Black Friday and understand the LTV of a customer that came in where the, the email pop-up was the offer versus just like something more generic. Uh, kind of similar to like checking the conversion rate of the customer, yeah, but like LTV. which one drove that, you know, a stickier customer over the year. I would love both of those. I think LTV would be great, especially because if you could be like, get a free travel size. Does that increase my, you know, LTV? Like, I think that's a genuine LTV play. But like, even ten percent off versus twenty percent off. Please tell me 
what has a better conversion rate and like AOV? And does that make sense? Because if so, I'd love to run 20% off instead of 10% off. I can't believe they haven't done this yet. I've like harped on them. I've emailed a couple of people I know there. I've like uh, tweeted about it and they're like, great idea. And I'm like, roll out with it, please. <laughs> yeah. We talked like, to Harley. Great idea. Just remember yeah. we don't work here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we talked to Harley and, you know, we were like, hey, do cohort analysis. And like a week later, three weeks like, later, he's live. Yeah. One interesting thing on the note of pop-ups, there's this company, Soft Serve Clothing, I think I've told you about. What they'll do with their promos is, let's say they're running like a buy three, get one free. They will just put that in that offer in their email pop-up. Their conversion rate goes through the roof. It's like 5x what their evergreen conversion rate is for email capture. Wait, say that all again. Say it all again. I don't okay, so let's say let's say you're, uh, you're running a sale, right? It's like, uh, get 30% off uh, any order or whatever. Uh-huh. Changing the email pop-up to reflect the active promotion versus just the evergreen copy. Yeah, yeah. Well, like okay, four gotcha. to five X, the conversion rate, both of email and SMS. It's like a great time to grab SMS numbers. Yeah, okay, gotcha. That that makes a, lot, a ton of sense. One of the other ways to, that's a great way to grab SMS numbers, <laughs> this is a little shady, is... So I think before I said like... Uh, Why do text- I think you're about to say like, drop your number, we'll send you nudes. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're Nick Char- if you're Moise Ali, you're already sending a lot of those. I've already got a, a Clavio list for p- sending people my nudes now. Um, no, I, the reality is, uh, I remember a few episodes ago, I was like, okay, for the SMS thing, say we're only going to text you discounts. And your uh, opt-in rate will increase. One of the brands that I invest with has recently tested, text your number, uh, provide your number, and we will text you tracking information, even though they don't text tracking information. And that has crushed it. And is that, that's that's on post-purchase? That's post-purchase. Yeah. Post-purchase, please enter your phone number so we can provide you tracking information. It's a look that you should provide that tracking information. This brand is working on providing that tracking information, but they want to test to see if it's worth it. And it absolutely is. I wonder too, like just taking that similar approach of, you know, give us your number. We'll send you a joke every day. We'll send yeah. you one, a funny one-liner or, yeah. you know, something like that. Just kind of like yeah. wacky we'll send and you out a of joke left field. Once a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you don't laugh, you get 20% off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. Actually, that's probably a very easy flow to build too. Yeah, yeah. You know, that text is one if you laughed and you get one thing, and text two yeah. if you didn't laugh, you get another thing. Yeah, or here's the twenty percent off anyway. Just buy yeah, something. fuck it. Take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah cool. that is great. Um, okay, a quick lightning round. I think we got. We should try and get through mainly three things, all fundraising related, uh, that I wanted to talk about. One was uh, this company called Stay Tuned Digital just raised $34 million in a combination of equity and debt to buy Shopify apps. I know WeCommerce does this and was having a little bit of like trouble or like their stock market valuation wasn't doing too hot. Uh, this market still exists. People are still buying Shopify apps. These guys just raised $34 million. You know who I really like on Twitter is Dennis, who started... I don't Dennis even know what Hank's business dad. he started. Yeah, I don't know what business he started. He started a company called Live Recover which was basically using people overseas to, you would put your phone number in at checkout. That phone number field gives you, there's a law where if you input your number, there's a 24-hour period where you can be messaged from the brand, from a human. And so he literally had humans and this thing scaled. He sold it for a good amount of money, but this guy's the Shopify SaaS app king. 
I love him. Yeah. He is constantly buying them and he's like um, willing to take a lot of risk. He's like, "There, this is risk. I'm going to do it. And he's not, doesn't shy away from that. I, really like I think it's all his own money too. He doesn't go raise anything. Yeah. I really like him. Um, anyway, stay tuned. Digital just raised $34 million. Uh, this company called Kite, this just got announced today on TechCrunch, I think. Um, the guy who started GoFundMe just raised $200 million to go buy Shopify businesses. So this business, like, you know, I'm not sure exactly what he's starting here. Is he starting another Thrasio or is he starting another WeCommerce? I'm not entirely sure at the end of this article, but he just raised $200 million to go try and conquer the land of commerce again. Dude, these are these are like the magical words to go raise money. I will buy Shopify businesses. Yeah. And investors are like, take my money. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel that way ever. Uh, usually either. I'm like- I've never thought that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then this business I saw today, and I wish I had started this business. It's called Dental B. Uh, uh, they make like dental, like cleaning equipment for dental appliances. It started by a dentist based in Dallas, Texas. They just raised $5 million. I just wanted to mention it because I think this market, this is seed round. This market still exists. This guy is a dentist selling, you know, denture kits, dental appliance kits, wash your dentures, use the, you know, here's a little case to put them in while you clean them. Like if you were a retainer, I wear a retainer still often. And like, yeah, you know, put you it gotta, in a case. Yeah, you got to put it in a case and you got to clean it because it is the most filthy thing in the entire world. And anyway, so this guy uh, created this business and they raised $5 million. The website looks horrendous, but Horrible. it's perfect for old people, you know? Perfect totally. for old people. It's on WordPress. I really th- is it on WordPress? Yeah. Holy fuck. All of a sudden, he's a fan. Oh my God, I love this business. Uh, the only difference I would do is I'd put a 1-800 number right at the top. because Yeah, like, it seems like that type of business. Yeah, this the, my customers are people who are going to call in to place orders. If your demo is north of the age of 50, have a 1-800 number at the top, just like Zappos does. I don't think you can use, this is a good way to end this, I don't think you can use your Philippine assistant to do this, but maybe you can. <laughs> Actually, you might be able to. Does your customer service person answer the phone? Or just email. Yeah, we used to have one that answered the phone and she would like walk people through. It turns out like after some, after like a month, it took like like seven days to get a ticket response. And I was like, okay, you're fired. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Um, but yeah, it's very possible to do. Like some of them speak very good English. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. In um, fact, do you remember the, uh, the as seen on TV uh, yeah, guy. That didn't guy. Like, yeah, I yeah. think a lot of those people are international just I from bet, yeah. what I was hearing in the accent when I talked to them. Yeah. I wonder if you can hire, like, like basically, I want people to call when they're ready to place an order or they're having trouble placing an order. I don't yeah, want them to call with an issue. Like, keep yeah. the issues. <laughs> keep the issues on the keep side. Yeah. Have an issue. Go to our FAQ. Ready yeah, to place to an order. <laughs> call, call the 1 800 number. <laughs> yeah. No, like, where is my order? FAQ. What's your return policy? Here's the FAQ. Yeah. Uh, I'm having. I'm ready to place an order. Give me a call, buddy. Let's <laughs> let's get this straightened out. Uh, Have you seen how uh, how like Google? So like, when I was in Austin last, I made an appointment, or uh, sorry, I, I was trying to find an appointment for a barbershop. and I just in Google Maps, you like search barbershop, you click like request an appointment. It calls the spot with a human voice and says, "Hi there, do you have appointments available today for a haircut and a beard trim?" Blah blah blah. Have you seen this where it's no. like, it sounds like a human? So I think that ability combined with what you can do with chat GPT, or even there's a company called certainly.io, which is like a very advanced AI chatbot for customer service. 
that combination, I think, will do exactly this for less than $8 an hour. Actually, I ran into the True Classic Cheese guys at um, at Shop Talk, and they had said that they create they have a new chatbot on their website powered by a company called Zowie. I've never heard of it. Z-O-W-I-E. It's AI-powered customer service, and they say that chat, the AI can respond to 80% of tickets that come in through this chatbot. Wow. You never need to, they never need to get up to a customer service agent. Yeah, with Feastables... We use certainly and train that bot, and that took that eats up about ninety six percent of inbound requests, which is crazy. certainly dot io. How much do you have to pay for them? It's not cheap, but depending on who you you know how big your company is, it could be very worth it. I don't remember the pricing. I can find out and bring it to the next episode, though. Okay, sounds good. Okay, I think that's a wrap for season four. Or I'm sorry, uh, episode three, not season four. Episode three of season four. This was fantastic. I'm really glad we talked about this offshoring stuff. I'm always like, how much should I pay? And I'm always like, am I paying too much? And the reality is, I think I'm really comfortable with paying over. Yeah, I think you're at a good spot. Yeah. You're not overpaying. You're not underpaying. Yeah. Okay. Well, appreciate the uh, time. Uh, That's a wrap for episode three. Come find us in Slack. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.